significant part of what it means to be a Christian involves serving the Lord in many different capacities. But while one's intentions may be good, sometimes we find ourselves outside the will of God. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich shows us why it's so important that we are following the Lord's path and not our own. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Are You Fishing on the Wrong Side of the Boat? from John chapter 21. All right, well, it's good to be in the Lord's house with everybody this morning as we open up his word and see what he has to say. As I said, we're going to be in John 21, reading the first seven verses, first seven verses. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel and Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other of his disciples, Simon Peter, or two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that, that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat onto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne once again this morning, Lord, it is truly a blessing and honor to be able to celebrate you as we do during these services, Lord. It's always a privilege to lift your name in praise and worship, to lift our petitions to you. And Lord, now as we open your word, let us be receptive to those truths that you want us to hear. Help us to prepare our hearts and minds that we might be open and attentive. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here today and present these words. I just ask that you take me and use me as you see fit. Take away anything that could interfere Pride, selfishness, distraction, whatever it is, empty me, fill me with your spirit, use me as your vessel, that I might only communicate the words that you've given me. And Lord, as a church, help us to continue to strive to seek your answers, to, to seek what it is your will is, that we might move forward in that direction, that we might always be doing what you have called us to do as a church, that we all might always be spreading your gospel, spreading your love, and sharing your peace, Lord. And as individuals, Lord, let us also do the same. Let us constantly be aware of those needs around us, those needs of the gospel in this lost and dying world that we live in, but also of your love and your compassion and your peace. And Lord, forgive us of the times that we've sinned against you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our uh, passages today find a group of seven of the apostles together. Uh, this was some time after... Uh, appearing to Thomas and dispelling his disbelief. If you recall, Thomas had said, until I put my hand, fingers through the holes in his hands and the, my hand into the wound in his side, uh, that he would not believe. And Jesus actually appeared and had him do the very same thing. This is, uh, ironically enough, where we get the name the Doubting Thomas in referring to somebody who has a tendency to doubt things. Um, 
But this happened sometime shortly after that. And it's no coincidence that we would find the apostles in Galilee. Uh, because we see if you go back in Mark and Matthew both, the Lord told them that he would meet them there. This is not a coincidence. This is not happenstance. Jesus said, I will meet you, you know, tell my brothers I will meet them in Galilee. And this is where we find ourselves this morning in this passage. And this, if this event sounds kind of familiar though, uh, maybe because it's not the first time uh, that a similar event had occurred in Scripture. If you go back to Luke chapter 5, we see a very similar sequence of events that transpired. Uh, one very big difference is where our verses today have us at the very end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the passages in Luke have us at the very beginning of the ministry. And in those verses, we see Jesus ask Simon, who we would later know as Peter, who was, at the time that he was called, was tending his nets as well, pushed his boat out from the shore so that it might be used as a platform for Jesus to preach from. Um, I find it curious that Jesus, the creator of the universe, the creator of all things on earth, also was aware and made use of the fact of the landscape in such a way that his voice would be projected. Not that he really needed to. I mean, Jesus could certainly project his voice if he wanted to in any fashion that he chose. But the, the, the geogra geography of that area was such that the reason he had Peter take him out in a boat was so that his voice would carry more to the masses that were on the shore. So, guys, if you ever want to know that geography is important, there's, there's a, an example for you. Jesus thought it was important enough to use it, so you certainly need to know those things as well. All right, enough for the school plug. All right, so we see that was the first instance here, and Jesus taught from there. He tells Simon afterwards to put his nets back in the water. And Simon comes back to Peter, or Simon comes back to Christ and says, look, you know, I've been fishing all night, and I haven't caught a single thing. But because you asked me to, I will. I'll put my nets back in. And at that point, he ended up catching so many fish that the nets began to break. And even the boat that came to assist began to sink under the weight of all the fish that they had caught. And upon arriving back on the shore afterwards, Simon clearly recognized who Jesus was. And so he falls down before the Lord and he admits his sinfulness. And immediately after this, Jesus calls them henceforth to catch men, to be fishers of men. And at that point, Peter left everything to follow Christ. And oftentimes we look at this and we say, well, that obviously was the first time that we see an interaction between Jesus and Peter, the first encounter between Jesus and Peter. But that really isn't the case, because if we go back to John 1, 40-42, we see, And the two which heard, of John, heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, who? Simon. And saith unto him, We have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah, and thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So we see Simon initially being called, or initially being introduced to Jesus by his brother, no less. And 
This is his first. But what's more is it goes beyond that. We see in Luke 4.38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into whose house? Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, obviously, was taken with a great fever and they besought him for her. So we see there's actually some interaction, some introduction between Jesus and Peter before this encounter along the shore in which he calls him to be fishers of men. And perhaps that explains for us how Peter was so easily, readily set up to identify Jesus in the encounter from Luke at the point where he was actually called into the Lord's service. But now let's go back to our verses this morning. Let's, we've we've kind of laid that groundwork. We know that background. So let's go back to our verses. Now it's interesting to note that Jesus used a very same lesson at the beginning of the apostles' teaching to become fishers of men as he did before he sent them out into the world to apply all of the things that he taught them. Because if you look at it, it's interesting, the parallel here. He does this at the beginning, gives them a lesson out of it, says, I'm going to call you to be fishers of men. But then at the very end of his ministry, just before he sends them out to apply everything that he had taught them, he gives them a very similar lesson once again. And the fundamental underlying lesson from this is clear. That it is the power of God, it's not what we do, that determines whether or not we are successful. I mean, there are many other lessons, obviously, but that is the primary gist of what he is trying to get them to understand. God is the power behind what we do when we follow God's will. I think it's interesting that Jesus specifically instructed Peter here to lower their nets on the right side of the boat. Now, some commentators state that this was because Jesus' position on the shore, he could see where the fish were, which I think is ludicrous because he is God after all. Why does he need to be able to visibly see where the fish are when the fish are at his command in the first place? Some stated that this was because that was the side of the boat closest to shore, but I don't see any point in that either. I think there's more to it than that. First of all, the right position was the position of honor and authority. And we see this clearly in the position given to Jesus after he ascended back into heaven. We look at Matthew 26, 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall I, you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Also, we also know that the term right often refers to Correct. Correct. So it was the same as telling Peter and the others, put your nets down now on the correct side of the boat. And this brings us to the point of this morning's message, that being, are you fishing on the right side of the boat? Now, it's very easy in today's world to set out on our own, to begin to toil and work according to our own objectives and our own methods. Notice in both cases, in both cases of God's intervention with Peter's fishing, he was doing so according to his own agenda. He was doing according to what he knew how to do, according to his experience and his knowledge. 
It's also noteworthy in both cases that he was fishing in the dark. This perfectly describes for us how we work when we do so based on our own agenda and our own timing. We are kind of fumbling around trying to do what we feel is right and we really don't have illumination to what we should be doing. We work very hard, effectively operating blind no matter how hard we work and we will not come up with the results that we expect. John 15:5 tells us, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So it should be clear to us then, instead of fishing off the wrong side of the boat, we need to fish off the right side of the boat. We need to do what God has called us to do. But why is that so important? I mean, obviously, we can say, yeah, it's right to do God's will, but what if, even if our own intentions are good? What if we have the good, the good of God and the good of people in mind and in our hearts, and we say, yeah, but that's what I want to do? Why is it so important that we operate according to God's purposes and God's will? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the, first, the right side brings success and abundance. If you notice in both passages, Peter and the apostles, despite their very best efforts, no matter how hard they tried, they caught nothing. Now, we need to remember something here. These guys weren't amateurs. These guys were not new to fishing. This wasn't Bubba and Bobby Joe down at the local creek trying to catch a few fish. These are guys whose livelihood depended on fishing. These were professional fishermen fishing in an area that they knew very well and had earned a living from in the past. And there's a powerful lesson in that in and of itself. It does not matter your abilities. It does not matter your skill set. It does not matter how familiar you might even be with the territory that you're operating in. It does not matter how it may have been in the past. If the Lord is not a part of your efforts, you cannot expect the Lord to bless your efforts with abundance. Now, the Lord wants us to enjoy life, absolutely. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. The the Lord wants us to enjoy abundant life. Now, before you think that I have started going down the road of the prosperity gospel crowd here, on the contrary, success in what we do and abundance, fruitfulness are a function of what's important to us. God does not bless materialistic thinking. And so he does not reward that motivation and with abundance of wealth. Well, what we should value and consider important is that what we are doing is in accordance with God's purposes and God's plan, that it is furthering God's will. 
That is where our hearts should be in these efforts. Not that, man, I could get real popular if I did this, or I could be famous preacher if I did that, or I could, you know, get all these... No, that's the wrong mindset. The mindset is, think of how God's will could be accomplished. Think of how God's kingdom could be expanded. Think of how God's name can be exalted if I do this. That's the abundance because when your heart is there in that kind of thinking, where do you think your joy is going to come from? Seeing all of that take place. God exalted. God glorified. His kingdom expanded. And therein lies the abundance of life that we find in this. We find pleasure. We find it pleasing to further his will. We can enjoy seeing God's purposes furthered in our efforts as well as knowing and sensing God's pleasure in our service. That's the true abundance and success that we should seek. That is the true abundance and success that we can enjoy. But our heart has to be pointed in that direction because if we expect anything worldly out of our efforts, then we are totally misdirected. All of our efforts are useless apart from God's direction and blessing. Secondly, we see that the right side reveals the presence of God. It is not an accident that in both instances of Peter's fishing expedition, they caught nothing prior to his arrival. Note that they did not catch a few fish. They did not catch maybe a handful. They caught nothing, not a zip. And after a whole night, I want you to think about this, a whole night of casting nets, retrieving nets, seeing empty nets, casting nets, retrieving nets, seeing empty nets, over and over again throughout the night. Upon following the simple command of the master, Upon demonstrating simple obedience to the command of God, they were able to catch more than they could handle. They went from zip to more than they could deal with. This was clearly a powerful demonstration of God's presence in their efforts. I am amazed at times when I think that Doing something that to me seems futile or seems like it's pointless, but I feel that, okay, God said to do it, so we're going to do it and just see him work, see him show out, just stuns me. I feel like garbage before doubting him in the first place. But I like this expression that I'd heard years ago, that God likes to show up and show out. God likes to show himself in those circumstances so that you know without a doubt it's all about him. And he's the one behind it. It's a reminder for us that a few moments of toil with God in the lead can accomplish far more than hour upon hour of our own efforts without him. Sometimes in our small victories, though, it's easy to begin to think that we're doing it ourselves. 
Sometimes when it's not a huge, obvious, God did this moment, we might think, well, you know what? I'm doing pretty good here. I'm doing this. And upon falling into this vein of thinking, we might be duped into thinking the bigger victories might be due to our work as well. But let's once again be reminded of what we read in John 15, 5, where it says, without me, you can do nothing. Next, we also note that the right side of the boat energizes us, gives us confidence. I I can't help but laugh when I see Peter's reaction when he learned it was Jesus standing on the shore. You know, Peter staying true to character, who tended to be kind of an impulsive guy anyway, to begin with, kind of spoke before he thought and kind of reacted before he thought a lot of times. When he learned and recognized that it was Jesus standing on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and swims, I don't know, maybe 100 feet or so. Do we get that excited when we sense God's presence? When we recognize God's moving in our lives, do we have that same kind of response? Or is it kind of a, oh, hum, oh, well. You know, Peter was energized. He was was lit up. What's more is we see the confidence of the apostles in our Lord and his will when they were told once again to put their nets over the side. In both instances, note that there was no hesitation. We don't see, well, you know, we really didn't catch anything. I don't know what the point is. It doesn't make any sense to us. We know what we're doing. Why should we have to do it? We don't see any of that with the apostles. Instant obedience. God said it. Let's do it. It's that simple. No argument of why. Peter does comment on one occasion, but it is clearly is stated to demonstrate that he brought it up in order to the Lord to know that the only reason he was doing it was because Christ himself had asked him to. Because if you recall in the other instance, he did say, well, we haven't caught anything else, but because you said so, we're going to do it. I think that was statement was provided not to show any resistance on Peter's part, but rather to show it defies all logic, but because you said so, we're going to do it. He acted because he had confidence. He had confidence because he knew it was the will of God. You know, we too can have the very same kind of confidence when we know it's the will of God. In fact, there are times where the world may tell us that we're not being wise in our decisions. That we're not being wise to act just because we feel like God has opened some door. But we know we can do it anyway. How do we know something is God's will, though? You know, that's a question I hear so often. How do I know what is God's will? How do I discern God's will in these circumstances? Well, that's a question we really don't have adequate time to address today. Um, Because I know you guys want to be out in the next four or five hours. But um, listen, I'm going to use an illustration that I hope will kind of quickly uh, kind of give us a guide here to use when we are looking for answers when it comes to God's will. And uh, I came across it in a book, actually, and I thought it was pretty good. When a ship is coming into port, 
and we did this quite often when I was in the service. Um, one of the easiest ways of knowing that you were on the right course was on land they would have two different lights, one in front of the other. And the path that you had to follow aligned with those two lights. You knew that if those lights started to separate, you were either to the right or to the left of where you needed to be. So those two lights were the guide that were needed in order to stay in the channel so you didn't run your ship off into the mud somewhere. It was an easy indicator to use and it was actually very, very accurate. So when we are discerning God's will, in those cases there are actually three lights. The first light is God's word. If what we believe to be God's will is in line with what his word says and does not contradict scripture, we have our first light. The second light is the Holy Spirit. If we are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and truly, clearly feel God's leading, then that's the second light. But even that's not enough. The third light is opportunity or circumstances. This is, has God opened the door for it to happen? Has God said, this is the right time? You know, timing is everything when it comes to God's will. Because it's in his time, not ours. It's not when we want to do it. It's when he says it's time to do it. And he will open the door when it is that time. So if you have all three of these lights lined up, his word, conviction of the Holy Spirit, and an open door that God has given, clearly given you, then you can have confidence that you are acting in the will of God. The last thing that it reveals to us, that it reveals to us the power of God. Why do you think Jesus let them toil all night long and not catch a thing? Why not just show up and tell them to do the right thing from the start? Instead of them wasting an entire nighttime trying to catch fish. You know, sometimes God allows us to try to do things in our own efforts and fail. So that we're reminded who the power comes from. This once again points to the significant contrast between the feast and famine that they experienced. Doing it in their own effort, coming up with nothing. One shot with God and it's more than you can handle. In situations like that, there's absolutely no denying who is responsible. Who's behind it. There's no other explanation but the power of God. This is no more true than we, like Peter, <clears throat> was made to do when we fish for men. When we fish for men. How many of us fish for men? You see, Peter was called to be a fisher of men, but you know what? So have we. He may not have called us out and said, I'm making you fisher of men, but he has no less given us the same directive in the great commandment. It's an interesting comparison when we consider that Christ used so many fishermen for his apostles when you think about it. 
of the 12 apostles, we know that at a minimum, four, a full third, there's that math again, guys, a full third were fishermen. Fishermen by trade. And the contrast and the irony is not lost in this. A fisherman catches live fish that they might die and be consumed, but fishers of men catch dead fish that they might live and never perish. This is truly the most powerful demonstration of God's presence and God's power. When we have the confidence to follow God's will, we have the confidence and understanding that the power belongs to him to witness to somebody, to be fishers of men, and we see lives changed, souls saved, and people converted. That's an abundance that can only come from him. But it only comes through our obedience, our confidence in his will. Our confidence in his power. Our confidence in his purpose. That we can see those kind of abundances. That we can see the power of God work in amazing ways. I've heard some testimonies of people that have been, that have been saved that just will blow your mind. Only God can make that kind of a change. I see from time to time famous people in the news who have lived a life that just defies God in every way, that suddenly, now they're professing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Folks, that's not anything but the power of God. But the question comes to you now, though, has God reached you in that same way? Have you felt the power of God in such a way that your life takes a complete change of course. When God touches you through the conviction of the Holy Spirit for salvation, it is unmistakable. Unmistakably the power of God and unmistakable a call for you to change how you are living. And it comes with an abundant life. Not from a material sense, but a life you know that is lived serving a Lord and Savior that is eternal and that the impact of your work is eternal. And that when you die and go on to the next phase of life, that all your work is for nothing. If you're serving yourself, or serving this world, that is exactly what's going to happen. All of your work will be for nothing. But if you serve a living, our living God, your work will have eternal implications. It can make a difference between life and death for many, many people through the power of God. Has God touched your life in that manner? Have you felt the power of God changing you, converting you from the inside? It's not about just repeating a prayer. It's not about just uh, you know, going through the motions. Folks, it comes from the inside out. We have to recognize that we are in need. That we are doomed without hope. 
outside of the power of Jesus Christ. And we have to recognize that only through him we can find hope, salvation. And if we will put our faith on his work of the cross and recognize he raised three days later, then we too can be saved. Why not let the power of God work in your life today? Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come before your throne this morning again, we just thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word and the truths that it holds. Lord, just help us to recognize what it is you are calling each and every one of us to do in our lives, however small or large it might be. Lord, just help us to continue to focus on that, continue to seek you in the circumstances, seek your power in doing so. Lord, that we might glorify you, that we might exalt your name, that we might expand your kingdom. Lord, just speak to each and every one of our hearts, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, whatever it is that you need us to step out and be faithful in obedience to. And Lord, just have your will and way in all of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church space-space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await His joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.